Hello and welcome to the Animation Essay Podcast. I'm Julia Smutslow and this month I'm talking to Ned Lott, casting and voice director of many beloved Disney titles, not to mention the entire suite of Studio Ghibli English translations. Currently Ned is working with Triggerfish on the voices for their new feature, Seal Team, directed by Greek Cameron. We talked with Ned about the subtle arts of ADR and how I know from Vangelis kickstarted his audio career. Enjoy! So, um, so I've come from Los Angeles and I uh, have worked for Triggerfish Animation Studios since about 2010. So um, I, I worked on the movie Zambezia first and then Kumba and now I'm here for SEAL Team. Great. And how's it been third time around? It's been fantastic. I love coming to Cape Town. I love the, uh, the staff at Triggerfish. You know, I've, I've got to know the, the, a lot of people really well and meeting all the new animators and and now it's great giving them the audio that they can start animating to yeah. and seeing the excitement kind of build around the studio. So that's really exciting. Awesome. How, do you find that, that um, this being the third feature with Triggerfish, has there, has there been anything big that's changed in the way that you approach voice directing and voice casting over the course of the three features? Well, the first, the first two features, they didn't have the budget at the beginning to hire the um, final actors. So we used a lot of scratch actors. And on this particular movie, we're actually able to hire the, the main actors first time. So before, it was all scratch, so they'd animate to the scratch, and then we'd do ADR later with the main actors. And this one, we got to record the main actors first, so now they get to animate to them. Yeah, that's a testament yeah, to the, I guess, the growing clouds of yeah. triggerfish and South African right. animation in the industry. Exactly. But then you, you mentioned a little bit about your background. Maybe we should also just start there. So when I was in when I was in college, my goal was to go to Hollywood. And and I wanted to immediately go there, like graduate from college and go to Hollywood and start. And it was going to be live action. And I wanted to either direct or produce or write music. Wow. Um, and so what ended up happening is after college, I got a job not in Hollywood. Um, uh, my mother had met somebody who needed somebody to, to do an independent movie with a missionary organization over in, um, I ended up getting to go to the Philippines and Taiwan and El Salvador and wow. Europe. And I literally went around the world for like four, four years. Wow. And it was fantastic because we were making movies with just two two people. And what what ages was and what it age was, were you then? So I was just out of high school. I mean, wow. just out of college. That's a great age yeah. to travel it was fantastic. the world. Yeah. So I was traveling the world. I was making these really creative things and lear learning really the, the the process. We were using music illegally for our presentations because no one told me you couldn't. <laughs> Because I'm just out of college, right? Yeah, ignorance is bliss. <laughs> and and all of a sudden, do you remember the there was a songwriter Vangelis who yeah I remember he wrote Vangelis. Chariots of Fire, right? Yeah, we wrote and a lot so of stuff. we he wanted did Blade Runner, as well. Blade Runner, mm -hmm. right? So we wanted to use his music for. And someone said, you know, you, you should really like ask his permission. <laughs> and it was like, oh, of course, <laughs> you know. So we contacted him, and he said, no, you can't use my music. Fair. He's been around the block. <laughs> right. And that changed my life. Because I was a synthesizer player. And I was in a band. And I had a, 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 a music partner who I, I called him up. Who had all the gear. I said, hey, you want to start writing music for scoring for documentaries? And so that that's what we did. 
So we said, Evangelos is saying no to us. Well, let's do our own music. And so then I started composing music for years. Amazing. And and I even, you know, we started writing songs. And to this day, I'm writing songs mm. for a movie, like end credit um, parts where the, mm. you know, once the movie ends, you sometimes want a song there. You pick up some of the themes from yeah. the So we're, right, we're writing songs for that. So, oh. so that literally changed my life by having him say no. That's amazing. And then when I learned to voice direct was we would have to talk to these missionaries and get them to share their stories. So they'd be in like, the jungle for 30 years, right? Translating the Bible or something like that. And we'd say, so what's it like, you know, being there in the jungle and snakes around you and you're you're learning this language? And they'd be like, well, it's really exciting. And they'd be really boring. Yeah. And so that's where I learned to direct. I'd say, sound like you care. <laughs> and that's where I learned those skills. Yeah. I've done some, some voice directing myself because I was a creative director. Oh, wow. Advertising before I became a screenwriter. Um, and I, I find it so interesting what different people respond to. Yes. Because for some people, you can say your top note is here, your bottom note is here, like stay between that. And other people don't want any direction whatsoever. Right, right. <laughs> and they'll show up and do a read. And I don't know if you find that these people at the, I suppose, the top end of the profession who will show up and go like, well, here's what I'm doing for you. It's kind of like, all right, I guess, I it, guess working yeah. at your level, you don't have to really deal with that anymore. Well, like with celebrities, you, you, you find their, their, it's like their language. Like what makes them feel like we're bringing the best out of them? That's what I'm saying. Where yeah. they feel like they're giving us what, it's like, it's like we're respecting them to de- deliver what their talent is. Like mm-hmm. we're hiring them for their talent. And my job is just to give them the context. So it's just about, it's not me really telling them how to act, because that's why I hired them. It's just to say, you're in a well and you're shouting 30 feet up, go. And then they will create whatever that is. Wow, yeah. And then we can just kind of move them around the movie depending on what the context is. So, so would it be fair to say that you don't see them as different skill sets, voice acting and acting? I see, to me, the best voice actors are actors. Right. Because I, I, I don't know if it's, um, if my perception is correct, but I feel like there used to be more people who just did voice and that was their thing. Like That's People correct. like Hank Azaria and so on, um, who were famous as you know, character voice actors. Um, even going way back to like those um, early 2D, well, not the earliest 2D D- Disney pictures, but um, up until maybe Aladdin, it was still voice actors who played their characters. Right. And then Robin Williams did the genie. And it seemed like every picture since then has A-listers as part of the package. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of how it's done. And you almost can't sell a movie without that anymore. Right. Do you think that's, that's kind of the moment that it happened? It's, it's really yeah. Aladdin and, and Lion King. Because with Lion King, of course, they got James Earl Jones. Jones. They yeah. got Whoopi Goldberg. They got Cheech Marin. Um, and then, of course, Robin Williams. And before that, there would be... Uh, Rowan Atkinson? Every now and then, yeah, Rowan Atkinson. Every now and then, like Oliver and Company, you know, there was, Billy Joel was in that, which is a lot of people don't realize. <laughs> I did not realize that. You I know, was one of those people. <laughs> yeah. You had like, you know, Bob Newhart in The Rescuers. So they mm. would be uh, scattered actors. But you're right. Most of the part, it was either voice actors or Broadway actors. Because, of course, Jodie Benson in Little Mermaid was a Broadway actress. Mm. Paige O'Hara, Belle, was a Broadway actress. Susan Egan. Yeah. Broadway actress. Yeah, that's so, interesting. Yeah, but Lion King and Aladdin really did change that, that whole outlook. Um, and so then, of course, we also have you partly to thank for the enormous gift of bringing Hayao Miyazaki's films into the English-speaking audience. 
I'm one of the sometimes considered heathens who actually prefers watching the English ones. Well, thank you. <laughs> Rather than the Japanese. And I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about, I mean, that process. I know Lasseter was, uh, John Lasseter was the one who kind of convinced Miyazaki to to make to yeah. to, uh, yeah. um, to to do the deal with um, I think the two provisors that he would get all the movies and that he wouldn't change much of them at all. That's right. So was that a big constraint, or would you have never wanted it any other way? It it was perfect. I can't I can't even say, and anything needed to be even better. It was it was John Lasseter who you know of course Spirited Away won the Oscar, mm, and yeah. then. We were the top dubbing company in the world at Disney Character Voices. So we, we handled dubbing for all the features worldwide and all the Pixar films. In fact, in fact, I, I believe there was a time where Disney wasn't sure if they were going to buy Pixar. Yeah. And, or, or Pixar wasn't sure if they wanted Disney to buy them. Wanted to be bought. Yeah. Like they were, there was this whole, but one of the main reasons they wanted Disney to buy them was because of the dubbing group. Huh. And so, and I, and I had the blessing of being in the dubbing group. And so John came to us and said, I want you to dub these next seven pictures. Wow. And so included was My Neighbor Totoro and Howl's Moving Castle. Yeah. It was a part of that, that seven. And it was, it was basically, they set us up with Studio Ghibli. You know, we'd work on the script. We'd do an adaptation of that script. And it was the same writers that did Spirited Away, the adaptation. And then I would cast the film. And then we'd direct the talent. And then do post production and try to get our lip sync as tight as possible. Yeah. And that's what we did for the seven movies, and we ended up getting an Oscar nomination for House. So it was an amazing. I think we did it between 2002 and 2006, so about a four year period doing seven movies. Wow, that must have been intense. And one of the highlights of my life. I mean, it was just fantastic. I can imagine to be immersed in those, yeah. just those images and that music. And, right. And the yeah, actors. And working with that quality. They of loved it. I'm sure, yeah. You know. And, you know, working with Ghibli, they were just, you know, it was a precious group to work with, so. Were they, um, were they able to kind of let go and let you guys take, they take the reins? They completely let go. <laughs> it was amazing. They just, their, their biggest things were in the script with the adaptation. We had some little bit of freedom, you know, be, just to appeal to an American audience. But there were times we wanted to change the story a little bit. Oh. Because in, to an American audience, the thing I've heard, learned about Japanese films is is they put these little tidbits in them where sometimes you have to watch the movie 30 times before you notice it. Mm-hmm. But when you notice it, it's so exciting. And, I, and I've heard that Japanese love that. Where Americans aren't, they're not patient enough. Mm-hmm. Or the English-speaking audience. They're not I think there's a certain kind of... Um... I hope it's fair to call them a nerd brigade that would be patient enough and have seen yeah. it enough times. But, right. But I see what you're talking about. Yeah. And so for the, the, the English, whole pace is different in exactly, a Japanese movie. Completely different. Yeah. So for the English versions, they say, well, we need to make it more obvious because mm. no one's going to watch the movie 30 times, you know. So that's where you would do some ADR. And so we, yeah. would, we would do some slight rewrites and Ghibli said no. They said no. We, we need to keep it with that mystery. So it was interesting. interesting. Yeah. So that was the, the kind of the biggest thing was the script. Because you did add a, a few things, I think. Um, I think there was, a, there was a line, for instance, of, of Chihiro saying, oh, look, a bathhouse, because an American audience wouldn't know right. what that is. We had freedom with those kind of things. Okay, cool. It was mainly, mainly story and plot is yeah. where we couldn't 
It's really Oof. interesting. One thing that, that seems like there was maybe a little bit of play is um, the age of the characters. Yes. Because um, Haku, for instance, seems quite a lot younger in the Japanese version. Yeah, yeah. And I was wondering if that has to do with the, um, the perceived need for a, some sort of romantic storyline in American Some, Sometimes that's that way. Sometimes it's just the certain actor we want. Mm. You just, you kind of, you know, because even in some of the ones that, like Whisper of the Heart, where it's, you know, it's high school kids. Mm. In Japan, you know, they might be as young as like, you know, 12, 13. But, you wow. know, our, ours are all sounding like, you know, 17, 18, you know. It's just a more mature person that we and the people we hired were like twenty four, twenty five. So it's like one of those kind of things, <laughs> right, you know. Right. They yeah. would give us freedom with those kind of things because schools are so different. We do have um, we've got a version of the kind of Japanese anime high voiced yes. character that like small small voiced female. But anybody of my age will know what I'm talking about because during apartheid we got a lot of dubbed Japanese content oh, that was dubbed from Japanese into Afrikaans. Right. And it was always the same sort of ten voice actors oh, doing that's all so these things. Funny. And they would also do Beverly Hills nine oh two one oh and Melrose Place and, and they do everything. Right. Um, and then some on some shows you would get simulcast on the radio so then you could tune in and hear the oh, that's original funny. English. Yeah. So <laughs> Those were the days. Yeah. Yeah, so that was how that was probably my first introduction to any Japanese anime was wow. seeing it dubbed into Afrikaans. Wow! Yeah. What was it like working with Christian Bale? Well, yeah. well, he was. So when I had to start beginning to work on Howl's, it was mm. like I couldn't imagine anybody better for mm. Howl than Christian Bale. And at the time, he hadn't done Batman yet, so he wasn't. He was kind of a like a independent indie film. You know, a lot of people loved him for the, his some of his indies, and of course, you know, when he did Empire of the Sun. That That's kind right. of put him on the map, and then and new, and Newsies. Psycho. A lot of a lot of people liked him because of Newsies, but then American Psycho put him in that. That's where he had that indie kind of, yeah. almost cult following. You know. Yeah, I don't know if the but, Newsies was really of a part with the rest right. of his. Well, the Newsies were more like to get these other <laughs> fans that liked him. So he had these kind of fan bases, but he wasn't mainstream. And Batman is really what put him on the map, oh, yeah. big time. Yeah. And um, so it was really great because the timing was kind of perfect because he hadn't come out with that yet and so the voice we use for Hal is actually similar a little bit to, I guess it's kind of that I just think of that of as being his voice you know? but <laughs> but I know he's actually Welsh yeah but what was great about it is he he would come in you know with his his Welsh accent and then he'd say you know so what would you like you know and then we'd find the voice you know kind of like this okay great and so we'd work and then we'd break for lunch He'd still talk like this. Yeah. So the whole lunch he was in character. Hey, could you pass the ham sandwich? Right? The whole lunch. And then we wrapped. And he said, okay, we'll see you tomorrow. It leaves, comes back the next day. How are you guys doing? Good to see you. Okay, we got back. He kept working, right? And then right when he wrapped, all right. <laughs> just was, like that. Just like that. Absolute pleasure to work with. Just, you know, wonderful. Takes direction well. Um, loved the process never in a hurry and he was perfect for it you know i i totally would believe it because during that time when his rant was in the news he had a yes i um i noticed he never broke accent during the rant and that's why so i totally believed him when he said well it was my character to get angry and that's why that's, I got and angry. that's true because when he was john connor he, he was in character yeah. all the time yeah. so so there's the evidence but what was so great about house movie castle he has that just that such cool persona mm. but do you remember the scene where he runs down 
the stairs because his hair dyed all weird. Oh yes, and, and then he, he becomes all emo. Out. Yeah. He he just he embraced that and just went for it. <laughs> and he was hilarious. <laughs> and yeah. of course, you had Billy Crystal playing kind of and Billy Billy straight man. No one was was Calcifer but Billy. He, yeah, he was like literally from the first moment I saw it. It was like it's Billy Crystal. It's got to be. It must be so hard if you have that kind of improv style to still bring your own humor to a part that's already lip synced. Yeah, you know, and, or, and yeah. he did it. And it was how did he do it? And it, what was so funny about about that was he he was on Broadway at the time doing a play called um, was it the Five Hundred Summers. 300 Summers? 500 Days of Summers. 500 Days of Summer? No. That's, that's, that's another movie. movie with that's a movie. It was the one about baseball. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It yeah. was... Um, oh, yeah. It, it was like like 300 Sundays, I okay. think it was. Makes more sense. <laughs> and it was like the, the, the 300 Sundays that his dad and him would talk about baseball. It was something like that. And he was on Broadway at the time, so he couldn't record until like eight months. Oh. But we had to deliver the movie like in nine months so we didn't have time to wait for the mix we had to mix first then record billy and then pop him in the mix and then finish it and then release it wow and so the whole movie was done without was that without calcifer it was very depressing you know it was kind of deep dark and deep it is moody it is a moody, moody. moody film yeah and it was just kind of like heavy right and then we we finished the mix went to new york I think we had five hours with Billy. And for three hours, he just joked with us. <laughs> he just made jokes. Over the script or just for just Just he'd, he'd do a line and he'd look at us and make a joke and just goofing around. But then those last two hours, he was so diligent and we got oh, wow. it all done. And it was fantastic. We popped him in and all of a sudden the movie just came to life. Like you, you needed his comedy relief yeah. to, you know, offset the moodiness of the it darkness, all the yeah. darkness mm. and the heaviness do you think that like one of one of the other key factors in people choosing to do a, an animated feature is whether they themselves are parents this is one of dad's theories <laughs> I, I think so yeah i do know that when you know like for seal team one um pretty big actor we haven't announced the cast yet so that's mm -hmm. why i can't say a name but um he has children and I think that's why the main reason he took the role. I think it was like I want to, I want my children to see this. Yeah, so so, I, so I definitely think it's it's. It, and even Christian was, um, he was just about his wife was just about to have a baby. That's right, like literally about to have a baby. And he had actually had to wear. Remember those pagers? I do. <laughs> he had to wear a pager in case she went into labor. So wow. he actually had it on during the session. I wonder how she felt about that. <laughs> I know. But I always wondered if, if maybe that was part of his, I, well, I want to do a children's movie, you know? Yeah. Now he'll always be Howl. And, and he'll always be Howl. Is it? Yeah. I, I, I think I read that it turned out the premiere for Batman and Howl were across the road from each they other. Were, they were exactly the same night. <laughs> and it was so funny because he, he was so gracious. He goes, I really would like to come. Yeah, but I'm tied up with, you know, contractual... You mean he didn't like, do a Mrs. Doubtfire and pop back and forth across the road into different costumes? Oh, we were so hoping he would pop <laughs> over. <laughs> oh, well. Which has been your favorite of the, of the Miyazaki movies? Is it hard to say? I loved... You know, Howl's will always have a special place just because of the, the, the grandness of it. And it was also an original to, to big screen. Because all the other ones were dubs of previously 
distributed films, whereas Howl's was new. Mm. So that'll always be special. Um, and then My Neighbor Totoro was special because it's just so iconic. Yeah. I mean, that's the Studio Ghibli's logo is the Totoro. My little boy's room is in a Totoro theme. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's got so, the So that's price. special, and I'll always have that. Oh. But Pompoco was this weird one. Okay. So that's in my weirdest thing I've ever worked on category. But Porcaroso was probably my my f- most fun. Okay. That's one of the stranger ones. Which is strange, <laughs> but it was just fun. And you know, Michael Keaton was awesome. He just kept saying, I just love being a pig. <laughs> and then Carrie Elway's doing a, oh, a yeah. southern accent. And then Susan Egan being our French singer. And um, it was just Brad Garrett as the thug. I mean, it was just such a fun, fun project so but they all have kind of different things like cat returns you know it was the late peter boyle we got to work with him Mm. he was just incredible and there's just you know there's all these little kind of nuggets in each one what what do you kind of think about like what's your sort of process in trying to decide who you're going to approach it's it's just i i you know i watch the films and it's like okay it's all about chemistry it's like we need we need Everybody to just fit, and like the heart house was so hard because Sophie was what was she sixteen and then she was eighty, mm. but it was the same person. That so is difficult. Yeah. We were like talking. We're like, well, do we get maybe we get like sixteen year old and then we get an eighty year old, or do we get someone who's like forty? <laughs> that sounds young. That can do both. <laughs> And what we ended up doing is we said, well, let's get let's get someone older than high school, more mature, for young Sophie, and then let's get someone who's young, not eighty, but younger, but still sounds older, but still has a youthful voice. Mm. And so then the search began, and it was like, I remember Gene Simmons from, you know, all these great movies, you know, The Robe and Spartacus. And, yeah, and it's like. She had the perfect timber. And I saw her in a movie. It was with Winona Ryder. It was like, I think it was about quilts or something like that. Uh, How to Make an American yeah, Quilt. I think that's yeah, what, she was in that. And that's that's the one that sparked that she's perfect for Grandma Sophie. Oh, uh, yeah. So then, then we chose her. And then I found her voice when she was like 20. Uh. And then said, who sounds like that? Oh, very clever. And Emily Mortimer sounds yeah. like that. That's interesting because she's British, isn't she? Right. Yeah. And it was perfect. And it was so great when the two of them met each other. Because mm. it was like it was like they were mother-daughter. Oh, that's nice. The way they just got along. Yeah, Jean Simmons, is, she's got a great, like, um, sexy matriarch sort of yes. voice. Which... Yes. And it was perfect for Sophie because, yeah. you know, Sophie's spicy. It lends a lot of, like, sprightliness to sprightly, her. Sprightly, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then it's, it's the chemistry. So then it's the chemistry with Hal... And then, you know, I always look at it like a, um, a combination pizza where when you take a bite, you taste all the flavors. Oh, yeah, yeah. But they're distinct Yeah. in one bite. And that's how I look at casting these movies. You want, you want everybody to stand out. Everybody has to be different enough because right. it's just so the voice get that you're getting. And that's why Pompoka was so, such a challenge because it's all about raccoons. And there's like, at once, there's 30 to 50 raccoons on the screen. They're all talking at once. So how do you make it so it's you can tell who's talking right. and you don't get confused? Yeah. And you're watching a movie, so you want to be entertained. You don't want it to be work. So 
my job, I felt, was to make it easier for the viewer to understand what yeah. was going on. Yeah. What's the worst that something has ever gone wrong in a recording booth? <laughs> well, I have a funny story. Okay. Um, this one actor wasn't having a good time. And he was kind of grumpy. And we wrapped the role, and it wasn't very good. And so they left, and then we went into post-production, and we pitch-shifted it down. <laughs> and then it worked. That's an extreme intervention. And wow. it worked. It totally worked. Amazing. And in the reviews, the people said that that was their favorite character. And later I saw the actor. I guess they would not have believed it was that actor, though, because it sounded so different. No, it, it, it was... It sounded like they they did the long, the low voice. Okay. They still believed it was them. Okay. And but when it was at regular pitch, it just sounded like the guy was mad and wasn't enjoying himself, which, <laughs> which is <wasn't>. true. <laughs> but what was funny. So you is, saw him. Is I saw him okay. later. It was him, and he gave me this big hug and said, "Thank you. It sounds amazing." No ways. There's other times where we sometimes you're told by an executive producer to use a certain actor, mm. and you're kind of you you're using them and. Sometimes it's because of an investor, and so you don't have a choice. Right. And so this was a big star actor, and they came in, and, and the first half hour was a nightmare. It wasn't working at all, and I knew we had to use them. So I just took a break, went, we had a meeting with the team, and said, let's completely change it, and let's just have them talk like their real voice. So they did, and it was fantastic. <laughs> Everybody goes home happy. And it all worked great. Because <laughs> sometimes that'll happen. How was it working with Liam Neeson? It and was amazing. Aslan's another character that's very close to my heart. So that that was must have been an interesting choice because, gee, it's that's a hard one to cast. It's like you don't want to be Mufasa because that's the other line everybody has in mind. And you're basically casting a deity. So you you it's are. A tough, tough it's, choice. It's, yeah, yeah. And what was funny is I was at Disney at the time and everybody said, just use James Earl Jones. He'll be awesome. And I said, no, he's Mufasa. Yeah, exactly. He's dad. <laughs> and <laughs> no, no. so... We thought, well, we probably want him to be British because so, you know, with casting, you kind of you think about actors that, who fits this, especially if there's a dialect. So we put together lists. OK, who are the, the top British actors that we could bring in? And uh, some of the uh, Timothy Dalton was fantastic. Ah. Um, Gerard Butler, who even though he's Scottish, he came and read for it. So we went through all of our British lists and everything. And, and, and we were we were like 98 percent there. But it just wasn't like, <clears throat> okay, you know. And Aslan had to be perfect, right? Yeah. And so it was getting down to about forty-eight hours before I had to deliver, and the the director had somebody else in mind, so they wanted they actually flew to to visit with them, and but I had to deliver my choice to the director, like like I say in that forty-eight hour period, and it literally came down to where I'm feeling the pressure of the studio. And also, this is like a deity. And I literally prayed. I said, God, this is your voice. Give me some inspiration. I turned on the radio, and the first voice I heard was the voice of Aslan. It was the movie trailer for Kingdom of Heaven by Ridley Scott. I drove home, got home, ran in, looked at IMDb. It was Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson's Irish. He wasn't on our British lists. Uh -huh. He's Irish. If I had thought of his name, I would have gone. Of course, yeah. And then what was great is we booked him for like 20-minute audition. And he did it for an hour and a half. He had never heard of the books before. But his how, family... How did he avoid hearing about the books? His family loved the books. 
His family. So Natasha Richardson, his yeah. wife and his boys, loved Narnia. And I guess they said, you need to read this. And his agent, and they set it up. He went to his mountain cabin, read it over the weekend, came back and said, I want to do it. Wow. I grew up with those with yeah. those. Books. It was great. I worked with him on the Lego movie uh, video game, and, and we, mm. got, we got to talk. And he said he just loves Aslan. He said, thank you so much. Oh, that's and I was able to tell him that story, too, because he had no idea. Wow, that's so, so cool. Yeah, he was he was awesome to work with. And then, of course, with Kumba, he was our, our pango. Yes, he was. So it was nice to have that connection now, my my Aslan connection. I can. I never even clicked that he played two big cats. <laughs> two big cats. But the key with Liam was his acting, because most of the guys that read for Aslan had a great big voice when they talked to the kids and... And when they talked to the White Witch, they mm. sounded like they were, she was just condemned. Like, I want nothing to do with you. But Liam was able to talk with love to the kids and the White Witch of firmness, but it was all about love for the kids. Sure. Does that incredible. make sense? Yeah, no, I, I can see what Because everybody mean. else was more lashing out at her. Yeah. But the character's bigger than that. But the character's yeah. bigger. Exactly. Well, they say in the books, even deeper magic from before the dawn of time. Exactly. I love that line. And no one brought yeah. that in the audition except Liam. Amazing. Just what, before we totally run out of time, I wanted to ask as well, since you've been around for a while, what's been the biggest effect of digital technology on what you do? Is it overall blessing or overall curse? Well, for me, it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'll go back to the beginning when I first got to Disney and we were still getting cassette tapes yeah. as auditions. And, you know, then, of course, that turned... So painful to, to deal with. And you had to, you know, when, when you try to forward wind the, the next one and you took a while, right? You couldn't find it. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, they, they put out those machines that they would read the blanks. So you'd, you'd click it and you'd wait till they got to it and then it would stop. And But it's still a process. And then, of course, CDs came out. And um, and then you'd, you'd click to the tracks, and then MP3s have just revolutionized everything. Yeah. So that's fantastic. And, of course, Pro Tools, you know, I used to edit on audio tape with razor blades. That's amazing. And but, so now with Pro yeah. Tools, you know, it's just like, boom. And we, then with animation, you know, you go from traditional animation to now it's all done digitally. Yeah. And it's just, it's fantastic how it's revolutionized everything. You would have met uh, Robin Gilbert when you were, when he was working at Triggerfish. And he was saying how um, working with Mike Lee, he was just not interested in catching up. Right. And I think Robin had to sort of fool him on Topsy Turvy that he'd done, that he'd done a cut the way Mike wanted him to. Right, right. And only once he had the product could he admit like, actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah. we did this digitally and it's not so bad. Exactly. You get, you, you get your purists, but it's, yeah, yeah I suppose in, in your side of things, it's just the convenience and the it's, speed that you can do it's things. It's speed, convenience. Yeah. Is there any downside? There's no downside. Maybe that's a better question. Not, not no. in audio. <laughs> I think the only thing with audio is there, there's something about the analog that's beautiful, mm. the sound of it. Yeah. Are you an LP man? Do you and play I like love vinyl? LPs. I okay. love vinyl. And so because of that, there, there's still this whole, how do I want it mastered? Yeah. You know? But as far as the process. And now you can just choose vinyl as your option. <laughs> you can, which is great. It's great to have the, the different options. But I definitely embraced the whole, you know, whatever's going on, whatever makes my job better. You know, I'm I'm gonna embrace that. I'm glad I'm not editing it with razor blades anymore. 
Yeah, it you sounds know. dangerous for one thing. <laughs> I mean, Zambezia, I edited uh, the audio track on an airplane flying to Africa. You know, wow. I, I spent 20 hours editing on the airplane. Amazing. And you can't do that with uh, with razor blades. You obviously and... didn't have a baby with you. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> that was my last international flight. Oh, nice. And now I know why parents just stare. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and just lastly, I wanted to ask about working in, with South Africans. But, I mean, I know you guys have been working with LA Voicecast, and it's not since, I guess... Zambezia that you've had to do or that had to do or that you have done scratch with South African actors. Well, well Kumba, yeah, we, Kumba as well. we had yeah. the Springboks were South African. That's right and they stayed South African because yes. they didn't need to be anything else. Right. They were perfect the way they were. But um, it's an interesting thing for us having such a lot of different accents. Do you think there's any hope for South Africans as voice actors oh, in the international I do. market? Yeah? I do. I love the Springboks. They were like, great. That's, yeah. that's one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. And for SEAL Team, I, I just had a ball. I mean, we used some comedians, and they're so funny. And I kind of got used to the whole bro and the whole vernacular. And I think it's terrific. And they were hilarious. So I'm, I'm all for it, you know. I hope they... I hope we're helping encourage them mm. and encouraging the industry. You think industry. They'll, they'll stay in the, in the cuts? Or I can't, do. Can't you say you think they will? Okay, cool. And what's great is Griggs, he's such a great director, but he just he, look, he looks at me and he's like... I want you to tell me, with you know, with my U.S. ears. Yeah. We don't want to just have them in there just because it's South Africa. We want to have them in there because it's part of the story, and it fits. It fits the cast. And, mm. and it is a South African. And it's story. a South African yeah. story, and so it needs to make sense, because I'm not one who likes to do stunt casting where you're just shoving somebody in there just because you have to. No, it's because I, I want them to be wonderful and great, and I want South Africans just to raise up. So last time, I, or two times ago I was here, I shot at Cape Town University. Mm. They did a voiceover symposium. Oh, wow. And then I'd bring the South African actors down and we'd perform scenes from different Disney movies. That's so cool. And they were terrific. It was fun, you know, just even, I've, I've in the past worked with Charlotte Ocopoli. Mm. And, uh, he, you know, he's able to switch around with accents completely. But even as just his natural accent, I think it's terrific. So he kind of cemented that particular sort of Afrikaans accent as being the one that people expect when they speak. Oh, to is it. that right? There's a bunch. There's a bunch of us. I mean, twelve dialects. Oh, okay. And wow. Twelve. No, twelve. Sorry, eleven official languages, and then dialects of those languages, and then that's lo- amazing. localized accents to right. go with it. Yeah. Wow. That's why we have a bit of an identity crisis overall. Okay. But okay. Yeah. Diversity's fun. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Keep an eye out for SEAL Team due on the big screen in 2021. That's all for now, but nota bene, if you're interested in attending Annecy, next year is a good time to do so. Africa will be the focus territory in 2020. Submissions for the pitch focuses are open now. For more news and updates, sign up for the ASA newsletter at www.animationsa.org.